Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, welcome here. Hey, for those of you that are joining us online, uh, welcome to you as well. Excited that we're able to, uh, to broadcast uh, our services and do that. That's fantastic. Been hearing some good things about how you've been interacting, how you've been connecting with us there. So that's great. For those of you that are able to join us in person, uh, welcome here. Excited to see all of your faces, uh, which is wonderful. Uh, the front row is always available as well. If you're ever interested in sitting in the front row, they're prime seats. They're still quite a bit of ways away from me, so you don't have to worry about any blowback. Uh, but uh, I've always heard that the Holy Spirit moves especially powerfully in the front row. So if you're ever interested in that, those seats are available to you as well. Awesome. Well, uh, today's a good day. Today is a good day. On April 1st, uh, which was still this month, but it was like, a long time ago, Pastor Amy posted a funny game on her Facebook page called Two Truths and a Lie. I don't know if you would have seen that or not. She didn't give the answers uh, to that little game, so we're going to play that game this morning. So up on the screen, uh, you see three statements about Pastor Amy. Uh, Two of them are true, and one of them is a lie. And the game is to try to guess which one is the lie. So let me just read these off to you. So here are the three statements. I played college basketball. And this is about Amy, right? I played college basketball. I don't like seafood. I love reading. Those are the three statements. So we're going to take a poll. We're going to try to guess. Those of you at home, make sure to yell out your guess. We'll see if we can hear you. You know, when I watch hockey on TV, I'm always yelling at the hockey players as to what to do. So feel free, if you're at home, yell what you think I should be doing. Yell out what you think. If, say amen if you need to. Grumble if you don't agree. Uh, whatever you want to do, because I'm sure we'll be able to hear you. But here, we're going to try this game. So as you look at these statements, who thinks that number one is the lie? No question. Okay, a couple of you. Who thinks that number two is the lie? Oh, quite a bit more. Quite a bit more. Okay, how about number three? Who thinks number three is the lie? Nobody. Okay, <laughs> there you go. You, apparently, we know you, Pastor Amy, a bit. We know you love reading. But we did not know this because number one was the lie. Isn't that amazing? So she did play college volleyball, but she did not play college basketball. She says that there's too much running in basketball. Hey, okay, so there you go. All right, let's do one more. Here's my three statements that were posted on April 1st. Uh, Here they are. I grew up up surfing every weekend. I was born in Atlanta, Georgia. I didn't ice skate until I was 19 years old. So those are the three possible truths or lies. Uh, Are you guys ready for this? Okay, so who thinks number one is the lie? Okay, couple, couple. Who thinks number two is the lie? Okay, a few more. How about number three? Who thinks number three is the lie? Okay, no, hardly anybody voted. Goodness gracious. <laughs> That's crazy. Okay, so here we go. Da, 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 da. The lie is number two. I was not born in Atlanta, Georgia. I was born about 250 miles south of Atlanta, Georgia in Tallahassee, Florida, in the panhandle of Florida. So there you go. Well, it's a fun game to play. It's really actually a fun game to play to get to know people. 
And so if you're ever at a, at a mixer and you're trying to get to know people, uh, this is a fantastic game to play. She didn't think it was a very fun game. That's okay. That's all right. It's mostly a fun game. But she's probably right in the fact that lying in church is probably not a great idea. We shouldn't lie in church. We shouldn't lie anywhere, really, because we are the church. So lying is not a great idea. But here's some useless trivia for you to go along with this. In the first century Greek world, there was a slang word for liar, and it was the word kretizo, which literally meant to behave like a cretin. To call someone a kretizo was to say they were behaving like a cretin, which, which was to call them a dirty, rotten liar. So if you use that word kretizo, it meant that they were a dirty, rotten liar. Well, where did that word come from? Well, the island of Crete is one of the Grecian islands located in the Mediterranean Sea. And during the first century, it had a notorious culture. The inhabitants of Crete were infamous for treachery and greed. It was an island of pirates and mercenaries and was known to be a place of violence and sexual corruption. Not a really great, great culture to have, right? In fact, the Cretans claimed that the god Zeus was born on the island of Crete. They, they staked that claim. Zeus, the god Zeus was born on our island. The mythological god Zeus was a famous liar and a sexual abuser. And the Cretans told many stories of Zeus pretending to be a man, lying about his identity, and then taking advantage of women. What a crazy God. What a crazy God. And the people of Crete were no better. They emulated this lying and abusive deity. They thought that this, these were great characteristics to follow after, and they did so. It made Crete a terrible place to visit, let alone live. However, to the Apostle Paul and to Titus, Crete was the perfect place to plant a new network of churches. Now, you can imagine how difficult this would have been, knowing the culture of Crete and understanding what they were famous for and what they actually longed to be. It wasn't just that they kind of had a bad reputation because they did some bad stuff. They longed to be like their god Zeus. They longed to be liars and people who took advantage of women. Paul aptly sums up the situation in Crete by quoting one of their very own prophet poets. Here's what Paul says in Titus chapter 1. He says, Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. And reading through Titus, we can see that this was not just a problem with the unbelievers. The leadership within the church struggled with polygamy, drunkenness, rage, dishonesty, and many other negative and ungodly things which maligned the gospel of Jesus Christ. This seems to seem to be not just happening with the church people, the Christians, but also amongst the leaders. God's word was being discredited. There were evil and potentially true accusations against the followers of Jesus Christ, and the gospel became completely unattractive to everybody that was outside the church. And all this because of the behavior of the Cretan Christians. Can you imagine that? What if this was our church? 
What if this was the reputation of our church? The leaders, the church, the body of Christ in Crete was in rough shape. It's in rough shape. It was a hot mess, which was reminiscent, which is reminiscent of another church that we've recently spoken about. Do you remember just a few weeks ago when we talked about the church in Corinth? The letter to the, the, the Christians in Corinth, 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, we read that, that the Corinthian church was a hot mess as well. They were struggling with some of the very similar things that the church in Crete was struggling with, and, and some that were, seemed like they were even more outlandish. Both churches were incredible, in incredibly rough shape. They were a detriment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They, they were making the gospel unattractive by their behaviors. What an incredible problem. The Cretan church was not advancing the gospel of Christ. They were, in, they were, they were intentionally or not sabotaging the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was like they were a part of the problem instead of being God's solution to sin. They became a part of the problem instead of a part of the solution. The church was meant to bring the kingdom of God, but they were bringing anything but. Have you ever felt like that was true of you? That instead of being a part of the solution, you were actually a part of the problem? I know there's been times in my life where I've looked around and I've gone, my reputation is not... It's not actually witnessing to Jesus Christ very well. I'm actually a part of the problem right now. I'm not a part of the solution. And the good news for me, and, and maybe for you as well, is that it doesn't have to be that way. Whether you're a part of the problem at this point or not, God always has a plan. He always has a plan. And he looks for ways to redeem the situations that we find ourselves in to be able to make us a part of the solution. And God does this with the church in Crete. We saw God do this with the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, uh, we read about the church being a hot mess. But by 2 Corinthians, we see how they've turned around, how God has redeemed their situation, and now they've become somebody that Paul is proud of. And the church in Corinth and the church in Crete are similar in this way, that God has a plan for them. And even though they find themselves in a hot mess, he has a plan to redeem that situation. But there's another similarity between these two churches. Something that's quite spectacular between the church in Corinth and the church in Crete. In both the church in Corinth and the church in Crete, God uses Paul to send the same young man to both churches to be a part of the solution. A part of the redemption story of Corinth and a redemp the redemption story of Crete. And that young man is a man by the name of Titus. Titus was an amazing young man. Here's what we know about Titus. In Galatians, Paul reveals that Titus has accompanied, had in the past accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their trip to Jerusalem. This is that famous trip where Paul and Barnabas were arguing for the right for Gentiles to come to Christ without first converting to Judaism. This story of the Jerusalem Council is written about in Acts chapter 15. Paul uses Titus as an example of the work of God amongst the Gentiles, that Gentiles were coming to Christ. They were finding Jesus. Paul uses Titus as one of the examples of, of how amazing, miraculous this was. Titus was not Jewish, but he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior nonetheless. 
And Paul even goes on to say that Titus did not get circumcised, even though there was much pressure uh, from the people, the believers in Jerusalem for Titus to do so. He does not. And it was at this time in Titus's life, as he's, as he's with Paul and Barnabas, they get, he gets to be a part of this Jerusalem council where it was decided for the very first time that Gentile Christians did not need to convert to Judaism or follow much of the Judaic law in order to follow Christ. The Gentiles could follow Christ alone. So Titus was there in the beginning. This amazing man of God was there at the very beginning of Gentiles coming to salvation. He would have gone through some very difficult stuff that first time around as he was following after Paul, and especially as he was following after Jesus as a Gentile. Titus most certainly would have been familiar with difficulty and hardships, and sadly, from the hands of believers. Now, most of this got worked out amongst the bulk of the first century church, Gentiles were accepted in the faith, and salvation by faith in Christ alone was a settled matter at that point. They settled it at the Jerusalem Council. There was no need for works or rule following in order to be saved. Salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone was settled. But there were still many out there who were trying to preach a different gospel. They were trying to convince new converts that Jesus was not enough and that following the Judaic law was necessary to be saved. And as we read through the letter to Titus, we see that one of the things Paul talks about here is this ongoing problem, even in the church in Crete, of these Judaizers, these people that are trying to convince believers to follow the Judaic law. Of course, Titus is perfectly equipped to deal with these Judaizers, having gone through himself the whole conversation with the Jerusalem Council and being able to walk through that, he was perfectly positioned to speak against these Judaizers. But there's more stuff that we know about Titus. And like I said earlier, God had used Titus to clean up the church in Corinth. After hearing about the hot mess in Corinth, Paul sent Titus there. We read in 2 Corinthians that Titus was well-received there and was pivotal in taking the, the church in Corinth from a problem church to a church that was a part of the solution. The Corinthian church became a place where God's word was honored, where accusations against the believers fell short because they were living lives that were above reproach, where the gospel became attractive to those outside of the church, and where a great financial gift was gotten together in the Corinthian church and sent off to other church. They became a church that began to support other churches. What an amazing thing. Paul was quite encouraged by the change in Corinth, and the change was due in part at the hands of Titus. Titus was Paul's go-to guy when it came to tough situations. Paul continues to send Titus out to different places. He sends him out, we read in 2 Timothy, that Paul sends Titus out to Dalmatia. I think it's Dalmatia is what it's called. Um, sends him out there to fix another problem church. Titus was Paul's go-to guy. But don't get confused here and mistake who the real hero of this story is. We can begin to think that maybe Paul is the hero, or maybe it's Titus who's coming in to fix these broken churches. But no, while these two play their roles, and they are pivotal in playing their roles in these churches, as with every book of the Bible, God is always the hero of the story. 
And I'm going to show you why in the book of Titus, God particularly is the hero here. So there's three problems that we can glean from this book. Three things that are happening in the Cretan church that are actually causing lots of dismay. And I mentioned them earlier, but I'm going to have them up on the screen behind me at this point. Here's the three problems that are happening. God's word was being discredited. There were evil and potentially true accusations against the followers of Jesus Christ. And the gospel was completely unattractive to outsiders. These are major problems. Major problems. If this was our church, if God's word was being discredited here, if evil and potentially true accusations were against the leadership here, and if the gospel was completely unattractive to Beaver Lodge and to our area, why would we even continue to exist? Why would we continue to move forward? We, we would hardly be able to show our faces in town here if those were the cases. What would be the purpose of having the Beaver Lodge Alliance Church here if these things were true of us? What a terrible situation for a church. But our hero God has an answer. God has placed three anchor passages within the book of Titus. Anchor passages that point us to solutions to these problems. So let's see how our hero God answers these trials and tribulations and difficulties. The first anchor is found right in Paul's introduction. Here's what Paul says in Titus chapter 1, right at the very beginning. Paul talks about having the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Paul begins by firmly standing upon the foundation of the God who does not lie. Remember, Crete is an island of pirates and mercenaries, people who honor the god Zeus, who they will regularly tell you is a liar and a cheat. But here, the one true God is the God who does not lie. He's the God whose promise came from the beginning of time, and his promises remain true all the way to the end of time. And what is God's promise? His promise is of eternal life. The promise that we will be united with God in heaven. The promise that Jesus Christ has secured for us all eternal life with our Heavenly Father. That is the promise, the promise of the hope of eternal life. And that knowledge, that hope of eternal life, comes from a God who does not lie. The God who does not lie. And that promise leads us to godliness. You see, the faith of the Cretans, the faith the Cretans have in the false god Zeus, who is a liar and a cheat and abuser, that faith has led them to be an island of liars and cheats and abusers. But the faith in the God who does not lie, that changes us. That changes us. If we believe in the God who's true to his promises, it changes us. Faith in the one true God who does not lie, who is true to his promises, that leads us to godliness. Our knowledge of the truth leads us to godliness. Now, don't mistake the word knowledge here. It's not talking about merely having a, an academic head knowledge. It's having a knowledge that goes down to our core. It's having an innate inside knowledge 
of who God is. Our settled belief on our inside leads us to an outward behavior and lifestyle. Because we believe in the God who does not lie, it changes us from the inside out. We emulate the God who does not lie. This next section, following after this statement by Paul that, that we, have a, the, we follow the God who does not lie and he leads us to godliness, this section goes into speaking about picking leaders whose lifestyles match their beliefs. Leaders who can encourage sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. But the crux of all of this conversation in chapter 1 is all around following the God who does not lie. Our faith and knowledge rest on the hope of eternal life that is promised to us by the God who does not lie. Paul then goes into his second anchor, which builds upon the first anchor. Here's what Paul says in Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You can see how this anchor builds upon the first, can't you? We see the God who does not lie. We follow the God who does not lie. And it is the grace of the God who does not lie, who brings salvation, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to lead, lead lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly. So if there's any doubt at this moment as to whom the hero of the story is, we see God is the hero. He's the one who is the God who does not lie, who teaches us to say no to ungodliness and leads us into godly living. And it's not just the knowledge of the truth that leads us to godliness. We also need the grace of God to teach us. We need the grace of God to teach us. And we have that. We have God's grace. We have the knowledge of the truth of the God who does not lie. And we have the grace of God to teach us. Those are his first two anchors. And these things lead us to godliness. So those first two anchors, of course, lead into the third anchor. Here in Titus chapter 3. Here's what Paul writes down. He says, At one point, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. This is Paul summing up the state of what Crete looks like and the state of what we used to look like. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. What a terrible place to live in. The Cretans, as a group, live in this space. We too have once lived in this space. But what made the change? What made the change from this place where we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures? What made the difference between where we used to live in malice and envy, where we were hated and hating one another? Here's what made the difference. And it all comes down to this. Paul continues, he says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Just pause on that part of the passage. I mean, this should remind you of, a, of, of dozens of other passages. 
But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It should just remind you of all the passages that talk about this is God's work in you. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of anything that we've done. Not because we were good enough. When we were at our lowest point, the kindness and love of God appeared. And he saved us because of his mercy. Isn't that an amazing passage? What an amazing passage. We were saved by the mercy of God, his kindness and his love. And then it, Paul goes on because this, this is such a, a, an, amazing, an amazing thing that happens to us. Here's what God did. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. We've been born again. We've been born again. And renewal by the Holy Spirit. We've been made alive by his Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. It just all comes back around to what Paul was talking about at the beginning. We have the hope of of eternal life, who the God who does not lie has promised us. And here's how he's done it. What an amazing, amazing thing. The knowledge that we have of the truth of the God who does not lie leads us to godliness. He's the one that's given us hope, the hope of eternal life. The grace of God which saved us teaches us to live godly lives. It's not our doing. When we walk in godliness, it's not our doing. It's the grace of God who is teaching us to do so. And the kindness and love of God our Savior saved us because of his mercy. And then he washed us and he poured out his Holy Spirit upon us. Isn't that amazing? We've been reborn and we've been renewed. See, Titus finds himself in a place where God's word is discredited by people who are living lies. So God reveals himself as the God who does not lie. I'm the God who does not lie, he says. Titus finds himself in a place where evil and potentially true accusations are hurled against Christ followers. So God says, that's okay. I'm going to teach you. His grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to pour ourselves into living godly lives. Titus finds himself in a place where the gospel is unattractive. And so God reminds them that that once they were enslaved, yes, you were in a space like that, but the attractive love and kindness of God our Savior appeared to save them, appears to save us. Because of his mercy... Because of his mercy. And then the Cretans were washed and his Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing what God does. It's amazing what God does. If you were living in Crete at the time and you were following the god Zeus and so you were, your culture was following lies, following deceit, sexual perversion, all kinds of stuff then all of a sudden the kindness and love of somebody comes out to you, it would break through. 
It'd break through all that darkness, wouldn't it? The kindness and love of God. God answers all the problems of the church in Crete so that their hot mess of a situation could be changed, could be redeemed and turned around. Oh, what a good God we still have today. That even in our place where we are, when we find ourselves in any of these situations, we see the God who does not lie. We see that the grace of God teaches us to walk in godliness. And we are, we are introduced again to his kindness and his love. There's so much in this little book of Titus. It's three short chapters. You can read it in about 15 minutes, but what a powerful book to turn us and focus us on the hero God who has redeemed the Cretan story and who has redeemed our story. And because of his mercy, we cease being a part of the problem and we become a part of the solution. You know how Titus was sent to Crete because Paul said, this is my go-to guy, I'm going to send him to Crete, and he's going to, he's going to walk with God and get this figured out. And God does that. God uses Titus to, to figure this out and redeem it. Well, you know what? You are God's go-to guy as well. You are God's go-to guy. And Titus had his problems. Of course, he was human. He would have had all kinds of difficulties. And Paul had to write this letter to Titus to encourage him and strengthen him and, and to push him forward. Maybe God's writing a letter to you right now to encourage you and strengthen you and push you forward, but you are God's go-to guy. God wants to use you to go out into the world, into the darkness, to tell people that there is a God who does not lie. And there is hope of eternal life that he's promised to you. You get to go out to the world, be God's go-to guy, God's go-to gal, to go out into the world, to tell the world, that God's grace will teach us to walk in his ways. You get to go out into the world as God's go-to guy, as God's go-to gal, to introduce the world to the kindness and the love of their Heavenly Father. So they can turn their lives over. So they can be renewed and reborn. You get to be God's go-to person. As we follow the God who does not lie, who is rich in grace and mercy and who reveals himself to us in love and kindness, what does this mean about how we show up in the world? See, we do not follow the lying and the abuse of Zeus. We follow and emulate the one true God who has been revealed to us in Jesus Christ, his son. So how do we show up in this world? Can people tell which God we follow. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ already, God calls you to look like him, to get to know him more and more, to know his truth, his grace and his mercy, his love and his kindness, and to be renewed by the pouring out of his spirit, to look like him. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're called to look like him today. So people can see those things and learn who God is. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ today, I hope you've gotten a glimpse of Jesus today. Have you seen God's heart for you in the book of Titus? It's God's love and his kindness that is reaching out to you so that you can be saved. 
I hope you've gotten a glimpse of God's heart for you, both through the book of Titus, but also through the people that you've encountered today or the other believers you've encountered. Now, we don't have perfect lives. We're still learning how to walk this out. But as much as you have received the love and kindness from a fellow believer, from someone else who knows Jesus, you've received it from Jesus. Jesus loves you, and he wants to get to know you better. Are you ready to become a follower of Jesus today? Are you ready to receive his love and his kindness today? See, Jesus Christ came to set you free. He loves you, and he wants to give you the hope of eternal life. And if you want that, you just need to turn to Jesus and ask him to come into your life to be your Lord and your Savior. So if you want to become a follower of Jesus, I'm just going to pray a quick little prayer, just a simple prayer that you can repeat in your head to become a follower as well. So just bow your heads with me for a moment. If you want to become a follower of Jesus, just in your own head, pray this prayer with me right now. Dear Jesus, thank you for your love and kindness. I want to have the hope of eternal life. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, please reach out to us and let us know. We want to be able to walk with you through this. If you're already a follower of Jesus Christ, but you're trying to learn how to follow him well, you're trying to find out more about the God who does not lie, about his grace that's showing you how to say no to ungodliness and to live a godly life, or you're trying to learn more about his love and his kindness, we'd love to talk to you about that. So please reach out to us. We'd love to do that. So in Titus, Paul just says, grace be with you. That's his benediction. That's it. And, uh, and that's a great benediction. Um, just a quick little update. As, as uh, Dave was talking about my son Gavin, who's in Mexico, he is preaching right now in a church in Mexico. So they've asked him, isn't that cool? His team has asked him, I mean, I think everybody on the team is preaching a message over the next several weeks, but he's preaching right now. He texted me this morning, pray for me, he said. So, uh, so I'm sure he's doing a fantastic job, but that's exciting. You know, when we moved up here, he was about three months old or four months old, something like that. And here he is preaching in Mexico. What a fantastic thing. So, um, We'll get an update for you on Gavin. Um, Pastor Amy will do that uh, as Gavin gets an update to her. And so you'll know more about what's happening for Gavin. But let me pray this benediction uh, over you. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for what you've taught us today uh, out of the book of Titus. You're the God who does not lie. It's your, it's your grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live godly lives. And it's your love and your kindness that saved us. It's your mercy Lord, and we've been reborn and renewed by your Holy Spirit. What an awesome thing. So we pray right now, Lord, that we would, that we would grab hold of that. I bless you, church, with a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, even right now, that you would be renewed right now. The, the work of renewal is not a one-time thing. It's ongoing. So, Heavenly Father, would you send your Holy Spirit to continue to renew your people. I bless you, church, to be renewed and receive a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit right now. I bless you, church, to know the love and the kindness of Jesus Christ. 
I bless you, church, to step into the grace of God. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Heavenly Father. We love you, Holy Spirit. And we lean into everything you have for us. In Jesus Christ's powerful name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. You're dismissed. Thank you for joining us. If you have questions or comments or are just wanting to know more about our church, check out our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com as well as you can find us on Facebook or feel free to email us at office at beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray that today you would know the love and manifest presence of Jesus. Thank you.